0: Welcome back to another episode of the HR Revolution or Evolution. This is all about the revolution of HR for the evolution of business today. Uh, we're excited to have Candace Fob on our show today with us as Chief Human Resource Officer at PARFOB. And uh, she is kind of accelerating the conversations about DEI as well as um, kind of some of the hidden secrets to mergers and acquisitions about the human capital component to those um, that are of, often overlooked. Um, but we invite uh, industry leaders like Candace so we can all learn from um, and take a little bit of what Candace says today and try to apply it and ensure that we're always providing value back to the business as well as the key stakeholders and most importantly, our employees and how we in HR are the master translators between what the business wants and the people's needs. Um, and where we sit today is an exciting place to be as we continue forward um, promoting the future of HR within business to be those strategic business partners. I'm Kevin. This is a passion project of mine. Bobby, why don't you quickly
1: introduce yourself and why you signed on for this passion project? Sure. Thanks, Kevin. Bobby Spaziani here. And first and foremost, want to welcome Candace to the podcast. Candace, thanks for taking the time to join us today. Uh, um, as we talk about um, HR and HR strategy, um, you know, really, Kevin, as you, as you kind of mentioned there, it's a pet project of mine as well. Kevin, you and I started having these conversations about a year ago, maybe a little bit more um, about how can we sort of start to educate the HR community, whether it's HR leaders today, whether it's those that are kind of studying to be HR practitioners or those that are just beginning their career. How can we help to accelerate careers, help to um provide guidance as to how to be more strategic in HR and really sit at the C-suite or at the executive table.
0: Beautiful, beautiful. Well, without further ado, we have a very distinguished guest, Candice. Candice, quickly introduce yourself and let us know what it's like to work as a CHRO over there at Parfob.
2: <laughs> Hi, thank you. Thank you for the invite. Glad to be here. Um, Candace Fobb, I've been um, you know, in the business and industry about 20 plus years um, been here at Parfab about two and a half years. Um, was recruited to kind of come and help them growing company, right? Um, growing mid-sized company that recently been acquired uh, by a private private equity company to so just come and create some structure, if you will, um, around their the HR processes and things of that nature. So it's been really exciting. I absolutely love it. Um, good company. Great great culture. Um, very, you know, it's respected in the industry. So yeah, well, good group of employees.
0: That's so exciting. And private equity and mergers and acquisitions is kind of top of mind as we progress through this post-pandemic or current pandemic era. Um, mm-hmm. We're really seeing that pick up. But before we get into uh, those items, I need to learn a little bit more about who Candace is. So Candace, you're down in Texas. What <laughs> is your favorite food southern soul food down there in texas of course charbroiled oysters ah, like, I, gotta try those. To I didn't know if you're gonna pick one, <laughs> one my buddy always talks about that fried okra down there oh no i mean i like it but charbroiled oysters all right yeah. i'm writing that one down i gotta try those <laughs> Oh, all right awesome. so we're uh, we're down in texas we're eating some charbroiled oysters and we're, we happen to be in a, a great music town there down in texas i know texas is known for some of the the blues as well as some other, other forms of music mm-hmm. what is your favorite song candace because a lot of people in H- we, we don't think hr have lives we don't think we're actually people what's your favorite music what's your favorite song that you've ever uh listened to I don't know that I have a
2: favorite song. Um, you know, I could wake up and typically in the morning I start my my um, day off with praise and worship. Um, and so anything by, um, oh my goodness, I was just listening to them this morning and I would have a brain for it. Um, elevation worship, right? Um, probably by midday, um, I'm listening to some R&B or some hip hop. And then by the end of the day, it's some jazz.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Smooth jazz taking us right into the (laughs) bus. Yes.
2: Yes. yes. And I typically just listen to, you know, Pandora or something that just plays a bunch of different artists. So yeah.
1: Candace, I got to ask you before we get started here, um, you know, I was going through sort of, you know, everything that you've been doing and reading up about you. And I, I, I venture to say that there's not too much free time in your life, given everything that you're doing uh, from an HR perspective. But when you have the opportunity um, to do some things on your own, what do you enjoy doing?
2: Um, I enjoy when I have time. Um, I love uh, my Echelon bike, working out um, every opportunity because I do travel a lot um, to spend time with my with my daughter. I have a thirteen year old. Um, you know, I'm I'm there doing that. She's in um, in volleyball, um, playing both club and for her school. And then I'm also a volunteer for her Girl Scout troop.
0: I saw that you were involved in the Girl Scouts, and 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 you brought in God and 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 the kind of your faith. Um, And a lot of that sounds like that's your foundation, right? And you've served as a a CHRO at at quite a few different companies, but let's talk about that degree you first got, right? So HR, why did you initially get into HR? How did you get into HR after getting that degree from LSU? So what,
2: so let me tell you, um, I didn't actually get the degree from LSU. I spent all of that time pursuing the engineering degree. I'd worked for several different engineering companies as a project manager. I even took probably two years off from school to work and the money was great. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I realized that I loved, I liked engineering, but didn't necessarily love it. Right. Because I was either in the office um, my specialty was hydraulics and hydrology. So I was in the, in the, in the, in the office doing watershed models and water design and things of that nature or subdivisions or either out in the field on a project. And I don't like being outside, right?
1: <laughs> <laughs> Especially in Texas. <laughs> Yes, I don't like
2: being outside and then being inside, it was just me, right? No, very, not, not a whole lot of interaction. And so I said, okay, I need to take some time off from school, some things that happened in my personal life um, as well. And so at this point, I was actually moving from Texas back to Baton Rouge. I had been in Texas working for Jones and Carter about two, two three years and I took some time off. And I was working as a technical support customer service representative. I had a friend. He said, hey, are you going back to school? Like, what are you doing? Because I was at the point where I had one semester left to graduate, right? Mm-hmm. Um, one semester, but about 18 hours. Um, had passed departmental comp- comps and everything. And I said, you know what? I'm not sure because I don't know that I'm really passionate about engineering. And so he said, hey, you need to interview with this company. I think you would be a great fit. And so I did. I interviewed with them. They were workforce development consultants. And I'll tell you, I had no clue what workforce development was. I was an engineering major. All I knew was <laughs> all I knew was processes and problem solving, right? And I'm like workforce development. And they were like, oh, go read up on the company be prepared for the interview. The website, I had the wrong email address. I mean, the, the wrong website address. I just went and I said, I'm gonna do my best, right? So I just went, wink, you know, and needless to say, didn't do very well on the inter- during the interview in terms of knowledge, but what they saw in me from a personality perspective, they said, Hey, I, we're willing to take a chance on her. And so they did. And they said, Hey, your first assignment is to figure out how to take what we've designed and what we've created um, and develop it into a model that we can sell to business and industry. And what they were essentially doing was creating uh, awareness around high demand industries in Louisiana. And then recruiting individuals um, into positions and uh, careers, right? And then going to, to customers, to industry and saying, hey, we know how to get people to your front door, right? Mm-hmm. We we understand the business, the industry. We know how to get the people where to go and find them. We just need you guys support to either provide educational opportunities so that they can get the careers and certifications that's needed and our job opportunities on the on the flip side of that. And so they had done all this research, all this program development, but didn't quite know how to to sell it to business and industry so they said hey you're coming you're from the outside in if you can figure out how to do that then you have a job with us and that's exactly what I did I created that model and flow for them and that became the foundation by which we transitioned into management consulting and so I was able to work as the um as the lead for recruiting pro- for uh, process technology through the louisiana chemical association and so that was identifying the individuals encouraging them creating awareness of, around process technology opportunities working with companies like energy and shale around um, scholarships to support those individuals managing them and then helping them to get those um, those job opportunities um, and internships when they finished. And so went and did the same thing with oil and gas industry, healthcare, And I said, oh, I think I, I, what do you call this? This is workforce development, but what, what, what else is it related to? Right. And then that's when the light bulb, light bulb went off in terms of human resources.
1: So, yeah. That's incredible. Yeah. And, and and the rest is history, right? The rest, history. Yes. <laughs> so, So I I want to stay on that topic of education, because one of the things I noticed as well is that you went and and got your MBA. Yeah. And I I noticed, you know, kind of in your career, you've had various roles where you've kind of had a direct line to the CEO, president, uh, CFO of organizations. How important do you think it is maybe for yourself first to be able to achieve that MBA, to be able to have that seat at that table and kind of talk business? Um, and, and then also on the flip side, do you think that's an important, um, you know, attribute or, or piece of education that folks that are striving to get into the HR field today should really look at, at achieving?
2: Um, for human resource professionals, absolutely, right. Unfortunately, you know, human resource professionals, um are not always seen as being business savvy right or understanding the dynamics that those things that business really care about that's needed to drive revenue and growth right and so you know they they see us a lot of times as the touchy-feely you know we want to have parties and do all of the the social things the feel-good things Um, And not necessarily knowledgeable or or even like to delve into the analytics, the uh, key performance measurements and things of that nature. And so for me, it was very, very integral in um, I always approach everything from a problem solving perspective. Mm -hmm. And so even if I'm working on a project, I'm always going to understand how does it impact the business. Right. Um, And then what can I do to help, you know, drive, drive down costs in you know, improve performance, efficiency, and so on and so forth. And so I look for every opportunity to go to the business to say, hey, I'm working on this project, or I noticed you guys have this issue, mm-hmm. what do, you do if anything, to help solve it with this work, with that work? The other thing that I did, too, was to make sure that I had opportunities to sit with the CFO. Um, and so my my boss wasn't there day in and day out uh, at the time, initially the CEO I mean C- yeah, CEO so this but the CFO was there in the office and while I didn't have a he wasn't my my direct you know I didn't report to him I still used him as a resource right and so hey I need I have this project that I'm working on and I really want to be able to speak to um how I'm measuring it and what goals and things I'm achieving and he helped me to think through that and so now I was able to actually um, you know, speaking dollars. You know, mm-hmm. things that what, what mm-hmm. make sense to them, and that was really uh, a pivotal moment for me, right? Um, because now it became okay. Now she understands our
0: language, <laughs> right? Exactly. And it's finding yeah. finding that common finding that common ground. And Bobby and I talk about that, and that's where we see like the most successful like HR. And, and finance teams are the ones that are working together. Yeah. They're, they're simply outperforming uh, the ones that are, are working at, at the same company, but at separate sides of the table. Correct. What Correct. did you learn in communicating? Cause I think you touched on it. You got to talk in dollars and cents and numbers, right? You had to speak their language. When did you learn that that was the most effective way to kind of develop a relationship with finance? Like how did you evolve and get there yourself? Was it the MBA? Was it on the job training? Like, what are the things that HR professionals can be doing today if they're if that relationship is fractured with the CFO? What are some words of advice that you would have that they are looking to go and develop that type of relationship?
2: Yeah, I would just, you know, I, you know, um, so it was on the job experience. Um, The MBA for me just helped to put it into perspective because um, I had all this on-the-job experience. And then when I was going through that program, it was like, okay, I have real-life examples, right, that I can use to you know, to put the pieces of the puzzle together. Mm-hmm. Um, and oh, by the way, the MBA also added uh, additional opportunities from a compensation perspective. And then too, it did garner uh, much more respect, especially from the CEO and CFO. Mm-hmm. Again, just because of, unfortunately, the perception and the negative connotation that human resources professionals get. Um, But it was on the job experience. So um, one thing specifically was, excuse me, the HR department had, we had a lot of processes, right? And whether that's um, unemployment claims, processing new hires, terminations, status changes, Um, You know, the industry that we work in, we have to make sure that we're meeting the customer's requirements from a drug and alcohol perspective, Mm -hmm. um, site training and things of that nature. So we were just doing a lot of stuff. And the problem was, was that um, I needed to create some efficiencies. And to do that, it meant I needed investment in technology. And so, um, and it's difficult to go and say, hey, CFO or CEO, I need to invest in technology and not really be able to tell them. Uh, It costs X, but then not really tell them how it's going to increase efficiency and things of that nature. So what I started doing was, and it was, it was very, unfortunately, very tedious, but it helped, right? Mm And so each of the individuals had a dashboard that they had to keep, each of my staff members. And they had to tell me the number of unemployment claims that we got in, the number of new hires, the number of terminations that they were physically touching, and then how much time it took them to do that. Um, and then also, of course, outline the process step by step, right? Mm-hmm. And so once we did that, and then I had um, and I put this together, all of this data, then I was able to see, okay, where the ineffic- inefficiencies were. Mm-hmm. Okay, now sure. if we had a system, I can cut down just the amount of new hires. By, is, right now, it's a like 40 minute process for one new hire with system technology. And I'm thinking about it if, hey, it comes in, they just, The employee inputs their demographics. We just verify it. If it's accurate, matches the driver's license. They just hit enter and it automatically populates in the ERP. Mm -hmm. It goes from 40 minutes to now two minutes, you know, and that's additional time that we have to put back into the organization or, you know, or reallocate somewhere else. So that was kind of the first you know, real life experience where I, I had to say, okay, I can't just go to him and say, hey, we've got a lot of work to do and I need a system. No, it has to make sense, right?
0: That. I love that. And I love your view on technology as a way, because you have to protect your time. And if your time is spent and we find an enormous amount of our time is spent on an administrative task. Oh, right? absolutely. Like, just like you mentioned, but that's why technology is there. But I love the way that you kind of painted the picture and gave the CFO the 30,000 foot view. Mm-hmm. Now, in my experience, sometimes there's CFOs that agree with ROI. Um, and mm-hmm. there's some CFOs, Candice out there that could care less about soft costs return on <laughs> investment, right? Correct. How do you battle that conversation when you were talking about the needs for investment in your department? What were, the, what were some of the, the pros or the benefits of making the investment outside of saving the soft cost? What other value did you say that HR would then be able to bring to the table at that point?
2: Um, let's see. Um, at that point, it became more about, hey, it now allows us to move out of being um, administratively, Um, um, tasks or tasks administratively to now I can focus on recruiting because that was an issue. The turnover was Mm -hmm. extremely high and we needed to find ways to reduce that. We had managers that had not really, they had moved up from, you know, being um, um, an employee right in the field Blue collar now to management that had not received any true management training leadership development training that's time now that I can spend doing that and then Oh, by the way, you'll see a return on investment because now they'll know how to help to reduce employee relations. um, You know, uh, wage and hour and employee relations issues and complaints and things of that nature. Yeah,
0: so you're truly an active business partner. That's an active business
1: partner. Yes, yes. Yeah, that's incredible. Um, so I want to switch gears just a little bit. I think you alluded to it in in your in your comment there, Candice. Um, in your industry that you work in now, sort of the oil and industry or oil and energy industry, um, I know there's a big you know focus on workplace safety. Uh-huh. In, what, in what ways do you think HR plays a role in employee workplace safety? Is that something that's typically driven by you know, line managers, or is that kind of coming directly from the HR uh, department? Um, So, you know, I, um, (laughs) so I think it has to be
2: a joint effort, right? You know, in the business and industry, in the industry that I. So Candace, I
1: wanted to allude to something that you, you talked about earlier, and and that's the topic of workplace safety. Um, You know, kind of knowing the industry that you're in right now in the oil and energy space, Um, you know, I I think it's probably pretty critical um, to put employee safety, you know, at the forefront of conversations. Um, I'm curious as to HR's role specifically in achieving employee safety and training around workplace safety. Is that driven directly from HR or does that coming more from the line managers across the organization?
2: So um, it is driven from the top. Um, So um, between health and safety um, and and human resources. So what we started to do was to make sure that we um, educated the organization that safety is first, right? Um, With our employees, uh, you know, a lot of times, you know, we tend to get complacent as it relates to safety protocols and things of that nature. Um, We've been doing things You know a certain way for a long period of time and although it's the wrong way you know no one ever said anything or no no one ever got hurt so i'm just going to continue to do it this way and so we started to see an increase um number one we started to see you know as we're watching our leading and indicators we started to see an increase um there but then in in addition to um, um to just minor injuries and things of that nature and so we did some refocusing um, as far as our strategy. And so we have to, we, we implemented a process where every meeting, whether it's face to face or via phone, has to start with a safety meeting um and so that and and it can be facilitated by anyone you know any any employee at any level in the organization But every meeting has to start with a safety meeting and so yes we do we we are driving that from the top with us it's a lot of just mindset and um and and culture and so we've got to make sure that we are you know boots on the ground in the field touching the employees and again just reinforcing those ideas and concepts um, and so it it is it is driven by by uh, health and safety and, and HR, um, and and you know just and luckily with with us our operations groups you know don't mind right they they they're there and they help to reinforce it.
0: I love that, and it's again as kind of finding those partnerships internally and understanding the value that each kind of bring or that unique view or angle. And I love the, the way that you're kind of drilling or ensuring that your employees are retaining that knowledge, right? I think it's one thing in a learning and development strategy. Everybody goes to the training, but then 60% of the information is lost as soon as they step out of the door. Um, oh, wow. You're talking about being a chief problem officer, right? And I love solving problems. I have a degree in biology, and I'm always applying the scientific method to kind of say, this is where we want to be, and this let's work our way backwards on, on, on what's standing in our way or what could be in our way. Um, you, you talked about talent, right? Um, and that was one of the first things that you started to do and got you really interested in HR as the people and the talent side of it. A lot of organizations right now, there's a lot of help wanted signs right now, right? Um, and, and a lot of organizations are unsure. Is it the job boards that they're going to? Um, is, it, uh, is there just a massive skills gap? I think it's a culmination of a lot of different things. Um, and, and, and obviously, what are you doing differently what outside the box things are you doing now taking from what you learned years ago about talent development, right. And workforce planning and applying it to today, because now it seems like we're in this echo chamber where everything's happening um, at at the speed of light right now, things that were predicted to happen in 2025 and 2030 are now coming in months. So what are you doing and how do you, I guess, put on that strategic advisory hat there?
2: So, you know,
0: (laughs) I will tell
2: you just when it comes to recruiting, you definitely have got to just think out the talent acquisition. Got to think outside the box and be and be proactive. And so and then two, got to just understand. It's important to understand exactly where the market is, um, and then understand that hey, you know, individuals when you make an offer. First and foremost, you want to be kind of the first to do that. So you definitely can't drag your feet with it. And mm-hmm. then you understand that you're probably not the only one that's making an offer to them. So you definitely want to be competitive and you want it to be something that the employee isn't going to have, um, you know, uh, any regrets about later down the road, right? Um And so, you know, I'm a big stickler on I use every avenue from an advertising perspective, I may, you know, I may post it myself and then at the same time work with agencies and I tell them hey I'm doing this internally so I'm just letting you know because I, I need you know all hands on deck. and then, you know, just making sure that we, um, you know, it's not uncommon for me to inbox someone or just have a conversation, you know, to say, hey, you know, I have an opportunity. I think you would be great at it based on, you know, this information or your profile so on and so forth, Can you know, can we talk? Um, the other thing too, is just being, um, being um, understanding right to just some of the changes as it relates to, okay, In the office, there was an expectation, right, that everyone be in the office and they be there eight to five. And I think you have to be some um, somewhat lenient or just um, be willing to make modifications, recognizing that hey, that's not the 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 mindset, especially considering the fact that we are still dealing with the pandemic, right? Mm -hmm. And so everyone is not going to be comfortable coming into the office, and there are a lot more. Um, remote opportunities, so how are we willing to, you know, to be flexible and accommodating to that? Is it really something that the person can do, you know, remotely or from home with maybe an an agreement that they do come into the office or, you know, jump on a conference call ever so often so that you can maintain and try to develop and keep some type of, some level of engagement, right, and accountability?
1: Yeah, that's excellent. And, and so, Candace, I want to touch base on your current role um, at, at ParFab. Um, I noticed that, um, you know, a, a huge initiative that you were able to accomplish was to really um, sort of create and deliver these these guiding principles of what the company hopes to see across the organization. Um, I want to talk a little bit about that because, um, you know, as Kevin and I like to discuss and, and, you know, is evident in the name of the podcast, we talk about the evolution of HR. I think about, you know, 10, 15, 20 years ago, these guiding principles or the vision or mission of an organization really, you know, coming straight from the CEO or the president of the company um, and just kind of pushed down to, to employees. Um, but now it seems more and more like HR is is a part of that process. They're developing the guiding principles. They're developing the direction, the vision of the organization in partnership with, with the C-suite right. and executives. How critical do you think that is? How important do you think that is to be a part of that conversation as a, a chief HR officer?
2: Oh my, uh, it's, very, it's very critical. You know, PARFAB is a little bit different from, you know, some of the companies that I've worked with before. The the The, um, the good thing that about PARFAB is that when I walked into, into the company from anything HR related, I was working with, I had a blank cam, canvas, right? Um, and so which is good and sometimes it can be bad it just really depends on your outlook on it for me it was good it was an opportunity to really create something that everyone could be proud of right sure. um, and so it immediately when I, when I started so you know I'm saying immediately but immediately I said, okay I'll get to you know start making my rounds get to start to start talking to people just try to understand what their challenges are what they'd like to see improved so on and so forth um, Lo and behold, what I didn't realize was that they were entering benefits open enrollment. And um, <laughs> unfortunately the benefit yeah. So they and then That's they a fun thinking, time
0: for you Austin awesome HR, right?
2: <laughs> yeah, and wait, and so they were and they oh, the CFO was like, "Oh, by the way," he says, "I had handled this before you came, but um, I, you know, I was waiting specifically for you when they told me you were starting." Mm-hmm. So, needless to say, in open, um, it was open enrollment was July one. I started April fifteenth, right? Ooh. So, not a whole lot of time. And then um, by the, you know, by that time we had just gotten the renewal, the quote back, and it was probably an eighty um, percent increase. And I was like, "Absolutely not." So. <laughs> So we had to go back to the drawing board, um, made some plan modifications, adjustments, so on and so forth. And oh, by the way, at the same time, transitioning the company from paper-based enrollments to a benefits admin system, they were—they which they had never used before and they really um, were not uh, and we're not at a point where they were embracing technology and I said well hey this will be this this will be the test you know we'll see how they do it and, but at the same time making sure that there were means to support them so yes we're implementing the system and the papers going away but guess what we have a call center that they're there staff where you can call and they can walk you and talk you through it oh by the way there'll be representatives on site for you to talk to them as well so and then the you know the next year we did away with the on-site and went to the call center. So we still made those, you know, had had those opportunities available to them. Um, but then right after that, as I started again, having those conversations and realizing that there was just a disconnect um, internally in the organization, I said, hey, if we're going into the end of the year, we've got to start thinking about the strategy. We were talking about mm-hmm. strategy. We're talking about budgeting, but there was nothing in place and no one was talking about how do we accomplish that, right? And mm-hmm. so- um, I reached, I asked the CEO if he would mind me um, bringing in a consultant to, number one, do an employee survey so that we can under, um, um, understand what the issues and concerns were, and then, two, let's have a change management session, um, and then let's make sure that we invite the middle managers so that they have an opportunity to, number one, see the data, um, for themselves and be involved in that process of how do we change this and move it forward and so out of that came our score strategy out of that session and that that score strategy we we adopted in 20 at the end of 2019 and we still use it today
1: That's so um
0: cool. so yeah. <laughs> it's so cool just to hear like how you can kind of make these suggestions in in, in at Parfum right? And and they actually take it and, and will allow you to run with it, right? I think a lot right. of HR practitioners and professionals that are listening to this almost wish that this is almost like a dream scenario. But you had to kind of do the hard work, right? It's, it didn't come easy. I'm sure they didn't give you a blank canvas and a blank check. You obviously no. had to do your homework and pull, pull some data and information what we're in this world of data, right? Uh, Data used for Netflix. It tells me what I want to watch and what I prefer, right? We're moving more towards this individualized landscape externally from business, right? But now that's seeping into business and we're talking about active talent management and individualized approaches for employee engagement. What types of things or what types of outside the box things are you doing today today um, that you weren't doing five years ago, Candace, because of the world of work or where we find ourselves today? Hmm.
2: Let's see. Let me think about that. Um, that's a really interesting question.
0: <laughs> well, it's, I, uh, one of the things to, to, to potentially kind of get you started is uh, you mentioned KPIs and data, right? And, and data okay. to kind of support um, business decisions or just arming the leaders with new information. Right, And Bobby and I talk passionately about this because it's HR's opportunity to show the value that they can have within the organization or where they can make an impact. How are you using data? And and you mentioned leading and lagging indicators. That's all the stuff that comes from data, obviously. And we can kind of, again, become more, less firefighting mode and more proactive, um, uh, let's say, candle lighting mode.
2: Correct. (laughs) Um, So, you know... It definitely gives you in greater insight into where um, where the money is going in or, or, or the time you know the time is spent right. And so I use a lot of I, um, whether it's um, payroll data that I'm looking at, um, whether it is you know, and with the payroll data, I'm looking at, okay, the utilization of the employees, especially since we work on projects that, that are, um, you know we're service based, right? So we, we have clients that pay us to do a job. Um, and then, the, you know, employees get paid, um, paid for that, and we have to bill the customer for the, for their time, right? And so I am looking at, okay, man hours, I'm looking at the utilization of these employees and mm-hmm. how much of their time was actually, or in fact, billable. Um, and then, you know, because I do understand that, excuse me, if we have employees that are salaried, but yet only 20 percent of their salary is billable to the customer then that 80 percent right is under is underutilized and the company isn't able to make any money off of off of um off Mm. of that particular um and so how do we increase the utilization of that employee you know is is he or she does he or she have a very specialized or specific skill set and if that's the case do how many projects or are there enough projects right to support having this skill set in the organization so that's like that's how deep it goes
0: <laughs> it's 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 super fascinating because yeah. again it's like you talked about how you are almost evaluating the external candidates right and saying these skills would align with this position but i i don't know but it sounds like you guys are are doing that with already candidates that already work for the organization, right? That active talent management, because I think we see it like a ladder against the wall and we only see one trajectory for our careers instead of more mm-hmm. lateral mo- or horizontal moves to then move uh, uh, vertically. Is that what Correct. you guys are doing too, is identifying maybe some of those key talent that might, they might be better suited in another position at there at par five?
2: Yeah, yeah. Yes. And that's, yes, better suited in other positions, Um, you know, and even having the conversations, hey, is this something that you ask that you see yourself doing in the next, you know, three to five years? Um, yeah. And if not, what would you like to do? And how can we as a company support you in those endeavors? Right? Is it additional certifications? Is it additional training, you know? um that's something that i probably would say that i wasn't necessarily focusing on or doing five years ago that we're doing now Mm -hmm. um and it's great of course to have a company that supports that
0: it's so awesome especially i mean you hear the mergers and acquisitions and private equity and um as we're closing up i you, you talked about in several of your posts and kind of just just some in the research that i was doing on you candace you talk about that a lot of pe firms and a lot of in the mergers and acquisition space Human capital is almost an afterthought in a lot of these decisions, right? They decide to buy this company because the profit and loss statement looks really good. They think it's an easy add to a product or feature set to their solution. What are you doing as advising companies as to kind of pump the brakes before they buy that shiny new toy? What types of things are you looking at in those mergers or those acquisitions of those companies from a human capital component? So,
2: you know, it, it's important, especially num- the, number one, to have an, have a seat at the table so that you can say and have conversations with them on the forefront to say, hey, this is something that we need to look at, right? Because a lot of times they'll, they'll, you know, have an idea to your point by the company and the the afterthought is on the leadership or the culture and the people, you know, after the fact. Mm-hmm. And so what we haven't thought about is, okay, well, once this happens, Who's, who's that potential who's mm-hmm. a potential risk for you know mm-hmm. who who could potentially stay you know how much um, legacy information you know historical data and legacy not and expertise and knowledge if these individuals were to leave would, would the, uh, leave would the company lose and if you know is it going to put us at, at a disadvantage how easy how easy would it be to um to backfill? you know that role? Uh, and then how much time is it going to take, right?
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, and
2: then, too, also just understanding that, you know, with this change, right, may or may not incorporate um, new leadership. And so then what is their philosophy? And then how do we get insurance that the company transitions easily? Um, you know, how easy will that transition be? How how easy and or, you know, hard will that be from, a, from an engagement perspective? Uh, sure. So it, it's a lot that goes into it, you know one one company that i work with when you know the the transaction happened they lost a significant amount of um expertise and it was a real struggle for the organization for quite some time um they eventually recovered but not back at those you know, not, not back at the, nearly back at those, those uh, pre-acquisition numbers, mm. so.
0: And that's what I, I feel like PE firms, um, I mean, when you see BlackRock, BlackRock is very much at the forefront of understanding talent, talent identification, who are the leaders within the organizations, the silent leaders. Um, so I find mm-hmm. it fascinating that I think a lot of organizations and companies are now starting to learn that that, human component is vitally important to the ongoing success of, of that particular merger acquisition. Correct. Um, Correct. As we're closing up, I, I have a few more questions. Bobby, why don't you go ahead and ask, ask one another question and then we'll kind of start wrapping it up here.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Candice. So, um, you know, one of the things I always like to ask on, on every show, just because we have listeners at all different points of their HR career is is really where do you see the white space or opportunity areas in HR today? So maybe for, you know, some, some folks that are just breaking into the space or, um, you know, they're, they're going through school, studying. Where do you see that area where they can kind of come in and make a big opportunity or make a big bang once they get into the organization?
2: Um, you know, I, I'm, I'm a little biased. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm a little biased. So if you ask me, I'm going to always tell you, um, you know, talent acquisition. I'm going to always tell you process improvement. Yep. Um, business partnering and just from a, um, just in terms of just developing relationships, right. Um, uh, with the other, um, uh, other organization, I'm sorry, other uh, parts of the organization, excuse me, because it becomes very critical, right. Um, that you have those relations, relationships in place to be able to just move the needle forward, right. To be able to get things done and get things accomplished and make sure that you're able to achieve the business goals. Um, I'm going to always say strategy, um, because those are the things that I feel like really help to drive uh, and push organizations forward. Those are the things that really help to drive, um, you know, uh, help the organizations achieve, um, you know, their bottom line. I mean, I don't know very many. there, There are some organizations that are in it for, you know, the pleasure, right, or that are in it, in it for, you know, a cause, which a lot of them are, are non-profits, but, mm-hmm. you know, the, the for-profits, they're in it too, just for that reason, to generate a profit, mm-hmm. you know, and so, and so you, you, if, if that's the type of company that you work for, you've got to know and understand that, and so you've got to find a way um, to help do that. Now, for HR, it can become a little challenging sometimes because you have to balance, right, the needs of the employee and then the needs of the business. And so it becomes a balancing act, and you've got to know kind of how to do that um, and do it with, with employees, right? Yeah. And so if you can figure that out, oh, my goodness, like... I, like <laughs> when when you figure that part of it out i will tell you that like success that that's what success will look like
1: you've written your ticket right yeah i yeah.
0: agree And I think, I think too, in the same ballpark, Candice, I think we're going to see more a chief human resource officers, VP of people, whatever we're calling it these days to really come and elevate into those CEO leadership positions, because I think it, the management styles of old are obviously not working today. Um, We have people that are fearful of change. Um, We're we're a lot of, a lot of thinkers out there, but very few doers I'm finding, especially in that DE&I conversation. And I know we're just touching on it here late in the conversation and it's an area that you're passionate about, but I'd I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you, where are we at in that DE&I conversation today? What can HR professionals that obviously think that this is important or know that this is important? We've looked at the data. We've looked at the science. We've seen that productivity increases and profitability increases in these diverse work environments. Innovation is off the charts, but seemingly companies are still just doing it as a marketing ploy today. How can HR yeah. take it out of a good idea, or um, let's say, smoke and mirrors, and really apply it and start doing things internally to drive those changes necessary for a successful DEI strategy?
2: Let Let me tell you, uh, Kevin. I, I don't have the answer to that. <laughs> All right. I'm in. Look, I'm in a couple of a couple of CHR groups. Um, And that's a topic of conversation, I would say, every other week, you know, and some individuals that are specific, that's their area of expertise and focus, and then some that are trying to get, you know, are um, passionate about it, right? And unfortunately, to your point, you know, I I think genuinely the companies really do do want to do good um, for themselves and for the employees, but I think a lot of times, it's probably a lot more um, involved, and they really um, care to take on, right? Mm-hmm. And so, I like, tell anyone that that is passionate about that, or that are working at companies and trying to drive that, that it, it's hard, um, absolutely. Um, but you know, if you can, if you can get the companies or the the leadership, right? You've got to have that those relationships, and have, um, you know conversations, to be able to have those difficult conversations, but if you can get them to support you um, in, in those efforts, then the reward on the other side is, is you know, it, it can't be measured. And so I, I don't have the answer, honestly. I think it just really depends on the company and then the, the leadership, because it has to be driven from the top. If it's not driven from the top, there's nothing you will be able to do or say or, or change you know within that organization it has to be driven from the
0: top I love that and and I think we say the same for like culture and vision, mission vision and values and, and all of that um Candace this has been an incredible interview and I I, I love everything that you said because you touched on I think everybody wants to put the cart before the horse, right? They don't want to do the hard work necessary to, to get to what they want to really be doing within their organization. And I think a lot of HR professionals are in that way, right? Uh, they interview, they're really excited for the position, they get shot down a couple of times and then they kind of roll over like a possum, right? And, and, and they're not yeah. speaking up in meetings anymore and they're not sharing ideas or they're not speaking up when um, maybe some of the values are, are being challenged right before their eyes and, mm-hmm. and, and, they, and they're being the shepherds, obviously, of the culture. Um, All right. we talk about the future of work. We talk about protecting our time. That's the other piece that I really loved is that HR needs to protect their time, just like every other department protects mm-hmm. their time. Um, because okay. the time that they have, that's not focused on administrative tasks is the real value add to the business and how they can really turn themselves from a cost center only in function to a profit center within the business itself. We talk yeah. about the future of HR, but let's talk about the future of work. Where do you think the future of work is headed? And what can businesses and HR leaders do today to help prepare themselves for what's to come tomorrow? Well,
2: future of work, <laughs>
0: um,
2: Yeah, uh, what's going on, so in tune. Um, but you know, I, I don't know, I, I don't have a clue. I, I just continue to, for myself, continue to monitor and stay in tune and then just adjust, right? Um, so that seems to be the best way because, you know, it's one of those situations where we thought we would be at one place within COVID hit, and so now we've had to kind of readjust to to that. Do I ever think that we're going to go back, uh, you know, to the way things were pre-COVID? No. I think the companies are going to have to, uh, again, be and become more attractive and retain talent. Um, and so I, I don't know. I, I I don't know that I, that I've thought that far into it. I, I know for me, I just try to be, again, I'm, I'm not afraid to change. Mm-hmm. Um. So I, I would say you definitely have to be open to change and definitely be flexible. Mm-hmm. Um, and then don't be afraid to, don't be afraid to try new things.
0: Mm-hmm. In my
2: opinion, I tell the organization all the time, like, Hey, I don't know if this will work, but let's try it. We can mm-hmm. always, you know what I'm saying, go back and, and redo it or, or or adjust it. Or if it just doesn't work, just scratch it all together. But just don't be afraid to try it. And I think it work it works because at the end of the day, what I tell them is that if it does not work, I'll take full ownership, you know? And so in that particular, because of that, they're they're willing right to kind of go along with the
0: game. <laughs> I agree. I agree. And I think, that uh, thank you so much, Candace, for being uh, a guest on this show because I think it was a vitally important conversation. We talked about protecting our time. We talked about developing those vitally important internal relationships so we can go to leadership and the key stakeholders as well as the employees and tell what each the business wants and the employees want. And again, be that master translator when we understand the unique business, right? How we make money, how we lose money and where do we spend it? And then really from the employee perspective, hey, things are changing. We're, we're always keeping kind of our, our finger on the pulse with the data. Um, and it seems like you're you're one of those HR leaders. I think a lot of people run away from problems. Um, you definitely seem to be one of the ones that go right into the storm and ha- handle those problems head on. And that's probably why you're not constantly functioning in a state of organized chaos and then where you can kind of take things, check them off the list and continue to move forward and progress as a function within the organization. So Absolutely everything that we want, we wanted and more from this interview with you, Candice. And I just wanted to say thank you from, from myself and from Bobby and as well as the HR community to have leaders like you so we can learn from, from these types of conversations and apply it in our day jobs and really start to move the needle. And uh, Bobby and I both feel that we can change the world uh, through better HR and more strategic uh, HR practices and, and really make the world and the communities in which we live and work uh, better than they are today. I agree. Nice I do
2: have a question for you, though, Kevin. And All right.
0: <laughs> okay, bring it on.
2: One last, sure. One last question. I'm curious to know just from your perspective, like, where do you see the, you know, the, the, the world of work going in yeah. the future?
0: Yeah. Okay. Well, first time I've ever been asked a question on here. But uh, <laughs> Candace, I, I really think the world of work of, is going to be completely flipped over its head. Right. So we saw that uh, job descriptions 40 or 85% of them were going to need to be rewritten in the next five years or nine years, mm-hmm. excuse me. And then we saw 42% of the jobs as we know them are gone over the next nine years. So to yeah. your point is people are changing the way that they work. Um, so I think that the mindset of businesses needs to say, how do I maximize the value or, and the time and the productivity for the time that I have with this particular employee, right? And maybe okay. they're not W2, We're, we saw the gig economy. We, we saw estimations that the gig work was gonna grow by 2025. Well, now that is yeah. right here at our doorstep because the pandemic sped us up so Correct. much It put us in a time machine. But now people are more comfortable, right? You mentioned flexibility, you mentioned stability organizations need to understand well what jobs can we outsource what jobs are are an absolute necessary function that we have to have a w-2 on and i think we started to see businesses do this about 10 years ago and we saw them outsource the wrong positions you're in a customer service focused industry um, customer-led service-based which makes as you know that employee experience and the customer experience all the more vitally important to your success and ongoing success and i think that the businesses that didn't really do their homework or maybe didn't have uh, strategic HR leadership and it was finance or the CEO making decisions, they outsource call centers, right? I worked at a company that, that, that was one of the most conflicting things is don't outsource your call center because those people don't speak English. They don't solve the challenges. It makes me more ticked off and then I leave, right? Um, <laughs> so I think that we're starting to see maybe some back office solutions, the advancements in AI, the advancements yeah. in technology Like you're investing in technology, more companies are going to start investing in whether it's outsourcing of the tactical HR function. And that's why Bobby and I are so passionate about it is it's going to become more of an easier business decision for CFOs and CEOs when they can outsource at a third of the cost for an administrative function, which provides little to no value to the organization. It's a very easy business decision. So I always say we're going to be buying, renting, growing, or botting talent is really where I see the future of work headed.
1: Yeah, I, you know, I'll I'll echo some of those comments too, Kevin. I think, um, I think, you know, the way that I view it is, 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 you know, unfortunately long gone are the days where employees are spending 20, 25 years or a full career with one company, right? I think we're taking more of that, that consultant's mentality of, you know, kind of going in and using our unique skills and talents and abilities to solve an organizational problem for however long that may be. Um, Mm -hmm. And then, as Kevin said, I think, you know, we have to get into the mindset of, the organizational mindset of embracing that and saying, you know, thank you for your hard efforts, thank you for your work, Um, you know, and then the employee, you know, kind of goes on and and moves to the next challenge. So, I completely agree with uh, with the comments that Kevin, uh, you know, mentioned there as well. I think it's going to be, um, you know, quite the uh, quite the change here um, over the next few years in the landscape of, of the jobs that we're doing today.
2: But
1: yeah, I completely I'm, agree. Yeah,
0: that's why I'm excited ahead, for HR, though, Candice, because I think <laughs> that a lot of CEOs are now turning to HR. They turned to us during the pandemic, right? And we're hearing burnout from staff and employees, and now we're hearing burnout from HR professionals. What's funny is that great resignation, I would be love to know what the percentage of HR professionals that are also changing jobs at the same time. I think they got to see like the ugly side of business, right? And some, during times of stress, sometimes those business decisions are ugly. And I think sometimes they got to see really firsthand how the key stakeholders, board members really viewed their employees. Some wanted to protect them and, and at all costs, keep their jobs while others were like, nope, let's get rid of these people. We need to keep our heads above water. So they all look right. to us during times of stress. And I think they're still looking to us during times of stress because the top of mind is on every CEO's mind right now is talent. So I think HR yeah. can be that next, let's say, wild, wild west or next greatest business partner. It was marketing at one time. It was the CFO at one time. And I really think now if we're willing to revolutionize what we're doing in HR, kind of view it a little bit differently and probably develop some of the skills that you shared with us, Candace, that's what I think businesses need today because they need a translator. It's it's not coming off the profit and loss statement anymore. And, 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 it, and, and we're very informed buyers today. Um, so it's, it's, a, it's, I see it. Uh, it's a very exciting time, I think, to be in HR, because I think we're going to, a lot of us are going to be start to be leaders within these businesses as well.
2: Correct. Yeah, you guys both touched on things that I've thought about, but never even just to kind of like... <laughs> Yeah, it's uh, it thought about, sure. but then to put it into perspective and words, I'm like, you know what? I did think about that. You
0: know? <laughs> That's the beauty of HR. A lot of the issues is we're not enabled. We're not enabling HR to solve the problems that they're closest to, right? And if we're not enabled, and we're not enabling the line managers that sit there every day and say, "I know there's a better way to do this." That's where we talk about innovation, creativity, and culture. That's what I want from a culture. People that want to work there, and I think you said it, people that want to be a part of something bigger than just themselves. And I think that that's really going to be the money motivator. Um, I'm so happy to hear that you suggested something outside of a a sign-on bonus is thinking outside the box because the lack of creativity is relatively worrisome to me in business today. Um, that everybody's yeah. just kind of doing this sign-on bonus and it's good enough. Well, look at your benefits package. Look at some student loan reimbursement programs. Look at daily pay options. Really kind of don't be afraid of uh, uh, and fear the unknown. And I love this conversation today. I know, I appreciate it. You guys have been awesome. <laughs> well, Candice, you've been an absolute blast. This has been an awesome conversation. And we just wanted to thank our audience for tuning in and really listening in to what Candice Fob had to share with us. Um, because it's something that you can easily take and start applying into your day jobs and elevate your career as an HR professional. But at the end of the day, how can you best serve the business and provide value, but also be the master translator and telling the business what the people want at the end of the day. So Candice, thank you again so much for being a guest here on the HR Revolution and looking forward to many more conversations with you in the future.
2: Yes, absolutely. I appreciate it. And thank you for the invite. You guys enjoy. Have a, Have a great day.
0: you have a great day thanks so much